Hello, and welcome to the Women Who Code podcast. This show features conversations between diverse technology professionals discussing women in the industry, cutting edge innovations, the future of work, deeply technical topics, and the ways that we can all work together to make the world a more inclusive place. We hope you enjoy. And if you do, please subscribe, rate, and comment. and I'm currently a staff software engineer working at P&G in mobile development. I'm also happy to be one of the co-directors of the Cincinnati chapter of Women Who Code. I'm super excited to be here today to talk with Hannah Mace about her career journey. Hannah grew up in Vermont but left at the young age of 17 to attend film school in San Francisco. From there, her path changed many times from being in retail management to being a travel assistant and fabricator for various artists. Eventually, Hannah realized she needed more sustainability and intellectual stimulation, so she began teaching herself JavaScript in 2019. When the pandemic hit, she took the opportunity to dive headfirst into the world of software engineering and attended two boot camps, General Assembly and Springboard. So I just want to welcome you, Hannah. It's so great to be here with you, and I'm really looking forward to this conversation with you. And let's dive right into your pathway into tech because you didn't take a direct route. So you attended the Academy of Art University and several years later, you attended a software engineering course. Can you tell us a bit more about what led you to move into tech? Yeah, so I have definitely um, an untraditional background and I come from kind of a unique family. It's filled with engineers. So my mom was a systems programmer for the army and my grandfather was a mechanical engineer. My aunt is a chemical engineer. So I definitely grew up with like really, really smart people. And I was so lucky that they didn't force me into any kind of path like that. I was allowed to pursue my dreams of art. And um, I got to go to film school. I got to work in neon. I got to work in laser cutting, a lot of different stuff. But eventually, as I got older, I just realized it wasn't mentally stimulating. I really was craving something more. I, I wanted to learn more. I wanted to be in more intellectual spaces. Um, and so since I live in San Francisco, which is kind of a tech hub, I interacted with people that were software engineers all the time for years. And it really demystified what a software engineer was to me. And I realized it was a really like attainable and approachable goal. Uh, I could do it. If they could do it, I 100% could do it. So I started kind of tinkering around with some simple JavaScript. Uh, and once I finally got up the courage, but Honestly, uh, when everything shut down and I lost my job and everything, I really took that as my chance and my opportunity to do a full shift and really learn more and learn how to build, learn the proper techniques and new technologies, all that kind of stuff. That's very interesting. It's so cool that you had such a supportive family there with you too. Like they have the background, but they didn't force you to follow their path. They let you do your thing and find your way. But then when you decided tech was the thing for you, you had all of that behind you to help you out. That sounds fabulous. And it sounds like you were just very confident. You didn't struggle with that. Like, should I go into tech or not? Is it too scary? 
Like you just have yeah. that confidence that I think we all should have in ourselves. That's just such a great trait, it really is. But having that less traditional path, tell us about the process of getting your first job. What was it like interviewing? What were the expectations of somebody coming out of boot camps in terms of experience? Yeah, so I think definitely the hardest part of the interview process is getting an interview, especially when you're at that kind of less than two year experience mark. So after I had finished my first boot camp, I was at about a year with my personal experience and my three month boot camp. And what I was noticing was I wasn't getting any any kind of feedback on my resume like I wasn't getting any any informational interviews any phone call screens so I felt like that just being at one year was a really big barrier for me and that's what pushed me to do my second boot camp because I figured if I'm not getting hired I might as well continue my education and keep working on projects but once I started getting to the like one and a half year mark, I started actually getting interviews. And from there, my first interview was my worst interview. That was with a robotics company. And um, the first technical interview, I bombed. I did horribly. As soon as, the, as soon as I closed the Zoom, I burst into tears. But somehow I was able to get, I went to the onsite for that company they passed me to the next round of interviews so i spent a whole week studying and preparing on the feedback that they had given me from my first technical interviews so i was able to do like tree traversals and i was had a much better understanding of data structures and i could do merging algorithms out of my head you know um so i went into that that full that on-site really confident uh that if i can improve this much over seven days they'll be able to see that and this is just going to work in my favor and i went in being a positive kind of bubbly person because that's who i am and i felt really really good about how those interviews went and they they passed on me i did not get an offer from that but that was completely okay because i i don't think that that work environment would have been one that i thrived in and that i felt really comfortable in but it also gave me so much motivation and so many specific things to work on that I was able to improve vastly and use in my next interviews. Um, and so then eventually when I did interview for my company that I work for now, uh, my interview was in Ruby and I had never touched Ruby. I had never used Ruby. So that was extremely intimidating for the uh, director of engineering to say, okay, let's create a hash, which is an object uh, in Ruby. And I'm like, I don't know this language, but what I do know is I know data structures. I know how an object works. I know that it's just, you know, a, you have your keys and you have your values and they're just connected by their indices. So I can do that. And I was able to accurately communicate my thought process and my knowledge of data structures and that got me into this job that I that I wasn't afraid to take on something that I didn't know. I just leveraged all the information that I did know to help me get there. And I asked for help when I needed it. And I was, you know, I said, I, I'm not sure about arrays in Ruby. Do they do this? And he would absolutely help me with that information because I had done all the work up to that point. So it was um it was really intimidating the whole process every interview but it did get better every time definitely easier with every interview i love how you took what you knew and used it, it for a language that you had no knowledge of instead of like stepping back and being like sorry i don't know ruby i just 
<laughs> for me. Like that is great. That is such, I think we all need to take that as personal advice. Like we all know a lot, take what you know and apply it to something new and you will be just fine. But were you in this whole process of interviewing, were you able to leverage your boot camp experiences at all? Like during the interviews or projects that you had worked on? So I definitely uh, for my company, after I had finished all the rounds of interviews, I felt really, really confident and positive that they were going to extend an offer to me just based on um, my interactions with them. And I felt like the director of engineering and I got along really, really well. So uh, during my last interview with him, I asked a kind of bold question. I asked, is there anything about my background that would make you hesitant to bring me on? Um, and he said, no, actually, I really like that you did two boot camps because that showed that you weren't done with your education, that you wanted to continue and learn more. So that really affirmed for me my decision because obviously there was a million times throughout this entire process where I questioned what I was doing. Like, was I was it silly to do a second boot camp? Was it silly to do any boot camp and to try to to get into software engineering? But hearing that I had made the right decision by kind of putting my education first, that uh, helped me with my confidence, and it definitely made me feel like the last you know year and a half was super duper worth it. And I would do it all again, even the horrible interview I would do again. <laughs> so your first boot camp was fairly short, probably more of what we, a standard boot camp that most of us think of. But your second boot camp with Springboard, it was a little bit different and a little bit longer. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, so the first one definitely is what you would think of for a typical boot camp where you're kind of getting on Zoom nine to five, Monday through Friday for three months. Um, it was great to learn the agile process, definitely. Um, you do sprints, you have deliverables, you're working with other people. So you're really doing kind of get versioning and get branch management. Um, but the the educational aspect of it was definitely lacking. Like it, I, I knew kind of more just coming in from my self-study than they would go into depth on certain topics. So I felt that to be a little disappointing. So when I found Springboard, the curriculum is really in-depth and they're not afraid to teach you the kind of nitty gritty about things because you are working in a more self-paced, um, it's a more self-paced program. It's about nine months. I think the fastest you can complete it is maybe in like six months if you're doing nothing but that. Oh, wow. um, so it's a little bit difficult if you're not exactly the best at keeping yourself accountable, which sometimes, I mean, that anyone can do that, you know, and I definitely would hit hurdles where I would work fast and I would work hard for maybe two weeks and then I would get burnt out and then I would kind of fall behind in all the progress that I had made. So that was a little disappointing things where I was holding myself back by just not having the right worth work ethic and keeping things in a sustainable manner. Um, but Springboard itself, what they give you is amazing. They have a lot of student resources. They have student advisors. They have office hours. So even though you're not working directly with other people, you're not alone at all. There's so many people that you can reach out to that can help illuminate questions that you have. But the main selling point for me and what really was the best part of the whole thing for me 
was that they give you a mentor. So you meet with a mentor one time a week and I, and it can be more if you like need to catch up on some things or if you have some questions, but these are industry professionals who are there to give you actual criticism and feedback on your work or just let you know when you are doing a good job. So I hadn't even started applying for jobs until my mentor was like, you're, you're okay. Like you can get hired somewhere. You should start applying. And I was like, okay, I guess I'll do that. And it was great. Like I, I ended up getting my job offer before I was done with Springboard because I had that confidence from an industry professional who I knew and I trusted. And I, I don't think that I would have gotten as far without having that person. I had always wanted uh, someone more skilled on my side. And that's what Springboard provided. And that was just amazing. That's very interesting. Uh, so it's self-paced. So you can control how quickly you move through it. Do you have the same mentor during the entire process? Yeah, you do. I think unless maybe your mentor like leaves the program or something unexpected happens to them, but I met with the same guy once a week for nine months. So, I mean, we really learned a lot about each other. He really saw me grow and he definitely gave me a lot of encouragement to try other things. And that's where I felt like I was able to grow the most as a software engineer. I stopped just thinking about creating little CRUD REST applications where, you know, it's maybe a, a Twitter mock or a little social media yeah. app. I moved past that and I was able to start actually building cool things. And I uh, created a little software, a little machine learning uh, algorithm that takes your Spotify data and it gives you uh, a judgment based on what music you listen to. <laughs> I also, at the end, was working with GraphQL and WebSockets. So I think just being able to have the confidence and the toolbox to move past a kind of just, this is, this is JavaScript, this is React, this is Django, and to actually start using and utilizing um, other applications and other languages and libraries to move just yeah. past what our initial things that we build when we first start learning. That I think is what definitely helped me get a job and at least just get attention on my uh, on my resumes because I'm starting to use languages and and software that these companies are using. So it shows that like, okay, if you bring me on, I don't need to be caught up on how to use, you know, Kafka or something because now I've used it. Yeah, that's super. Was your mentor helpful in uh, like resume prep too? Was he willing to give you feedback and help you? You they know, have the white right words on there sometimes. <laughs> so they have um, a specific uh, a set of people who are like recruiters who have worked in recruiting and HR. And those are the people that um, I went to for really specific resume help. I asked him for some feedback on my resume because he does employ junior engineers. So he does know what a junior engineer should be able to do and should look like. But there are also people that are really kind of skilled in the English language that know how to fine tune and tweak and get those kind of metrics that people look for on your resume and get the, uh, the right verbiage going. So, so Springboard absolutely provides you with a ton of experts in that area. That is great. The toolbox at Springboard sounds very wide and very deep. So that, that sounds like a fabulous experience. 
Well, since your time in boot camp, you've kind of transitioned into cybersecurity. Can you tell us a little more about that, how that transition worked and what you like best about it? Yeah, so it definitely it was very intimidating to first think of, okay, well now I'm gonna go work for a cybersecurity company. Um, but luckily my team is so welcoming. The company itself is kind of a Goldilocks situation where it's the right size startup. Um, you're not swimming alone, just taking care of everything by yourself. But at the same time, uh, you know, people know your name and you're able to communicate with directors of engineering or directors of cybersecurity. So it's a really nice balance of getting resources and help from everyone that you work with, but you can also kind of push yourself and, and learn and they'll invest in your education as well. So going into this field from just regular software engineering, I definitely was a little scared because all I knew was regular kind of JSON authentication and, and uh, that type of thing. But they've been so helpful. And I work now with um, the director of cybersecurity, gives me some little trainings and we're working on how to think like a hacker. So he's teaching me how to hack and what hackers do so that I can create web applications that have those vulnerabilities in mind. And I can kind of start creating from the ground up, making sure that they're not open to vulnerabilities or being penetrated. That is super cool. It sounds like they're very invested in you and making you the best that you can possibly be there. And cybersecurity, I mean, it's not going anywhere. So you definitely have, you know, the ability to make a big impact during your career focusing in that area. How about, let's talk about your leadership style and how you um, leverage that at your current role. Yeah, so I, so growing up in uh, middle school and high school, I would always go to youth leadership councils, which were a bunch of teenagers in hotels in Massachusetts learning about leadership styles but but uh those types of things were really really helpful I've always been a really confident person and I've always known that if no one else is going to lead I can take charge I have no problem being the person at the head but if someone knows more than me if someone is more qualified I would love for them to be taking charge so I think my leadership style really comes from knowing a balance of what do I know and what do I not know. So it comes, you have to utilize your own confidence and you have to utilize the, the tools that you have in front of you, really. So I try to take initiative, but I'm also not going to chew more, take on more than I can chew. I'm not going to allow myself to just drown because there are people that can help me. And if I take on too much without asking for help, that helps no one. That puts me in a worse position, that puts everyone else in a worse position. So I think going into my interviews and going into my job, just saying, hey, I'm like totally okay to take on this new task, but I need help for X, Y, Z. That shows that I'm honest about what I can get done and I'm not overestimating my own abilities. So I think it's better to underestimate a little bit and overperform, right? You don't yeah. want to overpromise and underperform. <laughs> yes, yes. But it sounds like you're, I think, is such a great, great trait to have. 
know, especially starting out, I think when some people start out, they're a little more timid and it's like, no, we want everybody to speak up. We want everybody's opinion because together is how we make things better. Definitely. Exactly. Well, because you have like a solid art background, do you think that that artistic background helps you in the tech world? I think it definitely does. Like, I know that for myself, I like to work on the back end. Um, a lot of people just kind of assume that maybe I would like to work in front end because I have that artistic background, but I find the front end work to be a little limiting because you can't just like throw, throw paint on the canvas and say it's done. It has to hit so many check boxes. So I think that there's so much art and creativity and beauty in like how you're building the application. How are you managing the data? How do you even want the data to look? Um, how is everything communicating with each other? And so when I first started teaching myself JavaScript, I realized like this is a real language. This is a language like German is a language and like French is a language. It has its own syntax. It has its own quirks. It has its own like words and its own uh, alphabet almost. So really giving it that appreciation and kind of honoring it as its own language, I think that you can totally find ways to think of what you're doing as like writing poetry or writing a story. Your story is the code. You're just using a different language to write it. So as I get more skilled and as my education grows, I'm learning the different ways that you can write and the different things that make code good and that make code bad. Um, I, I've learned, uh, I've been reading this eloquent Ruby book and one line that really stood out to me is clean code is a battle of inches. So it's about making sure that every line that you write is succinct in, um, is meaningful and it's not getting bloated. So I think it's really cool that two people could be working on the same functionality and write it completely differently, but both ways will be valid. Um, yeah. it, it really shows a lot of room for independence and individuality, which I think is just so amazing. I, I think it's easy to not see code that way, but that's how I see it. And that's how I hope that I continue to see it. Yeah, I think that's, I love the analogy of code to like a story or poetry, because I think often we don't tend to think of it that way. We just think about there's this technical thing we need to accomplish and how am I going to do it? But actually the process of doing that, like you said, it is very much artistic. And when you get to the point where, you know, the code you're writing is fabulous, which we all do, it reads like a story in a poetry. Anybody can pick it up. Anybody can read it. And that really is a talent in and of itself. We'll switch in a little bit to maybe a more personal side. Do you have any passion projects or hobbies you'd like to share? Yeah, so I used to do a lot of photography. Um, like this is uh, one of my pictures. I really loved playing with uh, light and spaces, but that takes up a lot of space. And so right now I'm kind of trying to live a little bit more minimally. Uh, so maybe I'll be able to expand and, and get back into photography. But while I'm just trying to take a more minimalist approach, I'm getting into watercolors. And I really like that you are at the mercy of the pigment. So you can't really control what it's going to look like. You just have to hope that it comes out well. And because I love colors so much, I think it's 
it's almost always coming out well. You know, even if I'm just doing blotch tests, even if I'm just doing abstract shapes on the page, I just really love looking at the way that the colors interact with each other and how they dry. Watercolor is so interesting. You can have a single color on a page and it'll be like four different shades by the time it's done drying. And I, I just love looking at that. I love the process of not really knowing what's gonna, what it's gonna look like when it's done. I love that you're still so passionate about art and you found a way to marry art and tech and make it a successful career for you. You recently gave a talk for Women Who Code titled, Ask Me Anything, How to Apply for the Job Anyway. Without giving the whole talk away, can you give us a little teaser on the content? Yeah, so essentially uh, men apply for jobs that they're 60% qualified for, and women don't apply for jobs unless they meet 100% of the qualifications. When realistically, uh, you should be applying for jobs that you meet about 70% of the qualifications for. You know, a job listing is a, a wish list for the company, essentially, and almost no one is going to hit 100% of the qualifications. So that's just about kind of getting out of your comfort zone and applying anyway there's no reason not to yeah what do you have to lose right <laughs> you're in the same position that you started in if they sit right. <laughs> if nothing else you'll get an interview and it'll at least it'll feed into your interviewing skills you know? it worked for me that failure of an interview 100 gave me the tools that i needed to move that forward and pass my other interview yeah that's that's great all right, well, as we're wrapping up our time here together, if you could share one pro tip with everyone, what would that be? I think there's a concept called beginner's mindset, which is basically no matter how skilled or proficient you are at something, no matter how long you've been doing it, you should always approach it with humility and the mindset of a beginner, that there's more to learn. There's always things that you don't know. And in tech, especially what is hot today, what is working for everyone today is not necessarily going to be guaranteed for tomorrow. Mm -hmm. And it's easy to become redundant or just not, uh, it's really easy to not stay current. And so you want to keep up with everything and not feel like you know everything because that kind of ego is only going to hold you back in the long run. That's such a great tip because things change in the blink of an eye, it seems like in this world. <laughs> Don't get stuck in your box. <laughs> exactly. Well, I want to thank you again, Hannah, for taking time out of your busy schedule to chat with us and share all your knowledge and experiences. Um, I've really enjoyed spending this time with you. This has been great. And um, I'm really thankful to have had the opportunity to get you to know you a little bit better. I also want to remind everyone that the talk Hannah referred to earlier is available on the Women Who Code YouTube channel, which can be found at youtube.com slash womenwhocode. So thanks again, Hannah. I really appreciate your time. This has been great. Thank you so much. This was so fun. Thank you for listening to the Women Who Code podcast. To find out more about our mission and the work we do across the tech industry, visit our website, womenwhocode.com. You can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Women Who Code. Be sure to check out our YouTube channel with hundreds of hours of free educational videos. Just go to youtube.com 
backslash women who code. Thanks again for listening. And remember to subscribe, rate, and comment.